I think I owed pretty much 80,000 on my house, couple of cars, maybe 5,000 on a credit card. I had a lot that I had purchased and I had a loan on that for $15,000. Yeah, it was, it was, we ran out of money before the end of the month. And that's why, that's why I couldn't go to McDonald's because even if it was at the beginning of the month, I knew I was, I would be spending money we didn't really have. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their current portfolio allocations. I'm Clark, here alongside my co-host Jace, and this is episode number 104. On last week's show, we had Chris Mamula. He's the co-author of the new book, Choose FI, Your Blueprint for Financial Independence. We discussed the book, what one can expect to learn, some of the chapters and information that stood out to us as well as to him, and also we really dove into his story of financial independence. On today's interview, we have Mark. Mark has a current net worth of about $3 million, of which $1.4 million is in seven different rental properties and also about $900,000 in retirement accounts. The remainder mostly is in his paid-for house. One interesting thing about Mark's story is that all of his rentals are fully paid for and his primary residence, so he has no debt in his life whatsoever. We dive into his story, how the rental snowball got started, how he's recently retired, and what he's doing with his time now. A really terrific story with Mark, where at one point earlier in his life, he said that eating at McDonald's was a luxury. So truly amazing how he was able to turn his financial story around. But before we get into that interview with Mark, just want to thank our sponsor, Obsidian Capital, for supporting the show. Creating passive income is one of the quickest ways to create and establish wealth. At Obsidian Capital, their core philosophy is to enable qualified investors to create long-term wealth passively through strategic real estate investing. Their team of experienced real estate professionals identify stabilized and value-add multifamily real estate assets that will provide strong financial returns, a healthy risk profile, tax incentives, and additional benefits that come from investing in real estate. They pride themselves on a high level of integrity and have experience in acquiring and managing over $300 million in multifamily assets. Furthermore, their leadership has over 45 years of combined industry experience. View their website today to learn more about their streamlined investment process at www.obsidiancapitalco.com. We appreciate everybody tuning into the podcast week after week. If you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate you leaving a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. But without any further delay, please help me welcome Mark to the show. Mark, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. Well, today I'm uh, 62 years old. Uh, I retired when I was uh, 60, so about a year and a half ago. But my story starts when I was 27, 28 years old, married. We had two young boys, my wife and I did, and uh, we were just broke. We were broke. I couldn't go to eat for lunch, couldn't go out to eat for lunch. I couldn't, you know, I'd be hungry on the way home from work and I'd pass McDonald's and I literally didn't have 39 cents for a a burger and a water. So I took control of my finances and I I heard about a strategy that was that's now called snowball. And I decided to pay off our debts and become more financially secure. 
That's awesome. We're going to get deep into the the details of that because it's quite a remarkable story. But what's your net worth today? About $3 million. And how is that broken up? Uh, my house is about $800,000. Uh, I've got about eight hundred to nine hundred in my four oh one K or IRA now. I've rolled it into an IRA. And I've got seven rental properties near the local university that are worth about one point four million. And all of those are paid off? Everything's paid off. Didn't want to take any debt into retirement. So everything's paid off. And I'm you know, I I'm not taking social security yet. So we are living on our rental income and we're also taking out some money from the IRA every month. That's quite phenomenal. How do you decide how much you want to take out from your IRA every month? You know, that's that's interesting. You know, there's the there's the famous 4% rule from the Trinity study. And so I'm I'm taking out more than that. So I'm taking out 6,000 a month and a lot of, you know, a lot of that goes to taxes. So I see I see 4250 in my net from that. And the reason I'm taking out more than the 4% is because I plan on doing it only until uh, I so so I retired at sixty and and I need to use my own funds until until I start taking Social Security at sixty seven. So I'm going to take it at sixty seven. That's about six months after my full retirement age. Uh, my wife will then be able to take her Social Security, which will be half of my benefit, and she'll also have a pension of about a thousand dollars a month. So once all that kicks in, I'll be able to rely less or maybe not at all on my IRA. So for now, I'm taking out a higher percentage, but I think that will eventually turn into zero or not or or near zero in the future. And how do you have that invested right now? Do you know, I, I am a real proponent of, J, of JL. Oh my gosh. Okay, let me try this JL again. JL Collins? Collins. JL yeah. Collins. I am a, I'm a real proponent of JL Collins. And uh, I would I would love to be doing that. And, and I'm just not, it's funny. I haven't done it yet, but I plan on doing that for right now. I have a lot of Apple stock, a lot of Amazon stock and a, and a few other stocks uh, that when I retired, I took about half of my IRA. So about $400,000 and moved it into just a money market account. Awesome. And then the the rentals, I kind of want to get into this a little bit more, but just so we can get all the facts up straight, how much do they rent for each month or how much do they cash flow? I guess there's no no payments because you paid off the mortgage, but right, right. My my income from each one is close to a thousand, uh nine fifty, nine fifty, nine fifty, nine hundred. So, you know, between nine hundred and and a thousand. And are, the, are those single family homes or apartments or? They're, they're condominiums. And Condos, they are, okay. Uh-huh, and they're, they're mostly the, the people who want to rent from me are mostly young married couples. I rent, mm-hmm. to, I rent to anyone, but uh, just where they are and where they're located. the, the Just the happens people to who, be that. Yep. Right. The people who come to me are mostly young married couples. And, and what are they? Two beds? Uh, I have four two bedroom, one bath and three one bedroom, one bath. Awesome. And and how much did you buy them for and how much were they renting for when you bought them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, buying that first one is the most scary. And um, so the first one I paid 43000 for. Wow. And yeah, and today it's worth, a, you know, it's worth close to 200000 mm. Um Rent was three twenty five, And then I also had to pay $50 for uh, the condo fee. So, you know, that's not a lot. And my payment was three. I remember exactly. It was my very first one. I was young. 
Uh, it was $373. And so I was, I was negative about $100 a month. And of course, I was told that I was dumb, that it was the wrong thing to do. I, I was going to be home. My mom told me I was stupid. Thank you, mom. And, and, <laughs> and uh, I was told I was going to be on the street. My, my family was going to be homeless if I, if I did this. So I really had to stand up for myself and, and, and do it. Yeah, well, good for you. And, and congrats on your financial success, obviously. Thanks. So, do you, Mark, there's probably some people that say, okay, if, if they're all, are they all worth about 200? Yes. So you've got seven rental properties worth about 200. You said 1.4 million, right? Would you ever either leverage out of them, right? Or would you ever sell them and buy up? Or, I mean, obviously you have the peace of mind and you kind of shared that with us with the notes before that you have the peace of mind of having no debt. Yeah. And, and, you know, here's, here's, uh, Here's a thought about that. When uh, when I see this over over the past 25 years, when I've both been saving in the stock market via the 401k and IRA, and I've been saving in uh, my my rental properties or investing in rental properties, you know, it's, at times the rental properties didn't do very well. There were there were too many rentals in the area. At times the stock market has has really you know done poorly. Obviously, uh, 2001 and 2009. And so, so it's interesting that how at times one seems like the better investment and at other times the other seems uh, the better investment. But there's one thing good about this, the uh, rental properties. And that is I get checks in the mail every single month and I can spend them. I just love that. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So, yeah. yeah. Do you, and, do you self-manage all of them? I do. Well, and how often do your tenants turn over? About every two or three years. All right, that's not too frequent, then, right? Yeah, yeah. Per you know, per per uh, condo. And I, I was going to come back to real estate, but now we're already here. So, are, what are the biggest issues you've had? Any big damages or any headaches? Anything that stand out to you? Um, you know, I've I've been doing it for twenty five years. I now have seven properties. So over those twenty five years, maybe I've averaged four or five. And in those twenty five years, I have always been paid rent. I have never had somebody not pay me rent. Hmm. So uh, it's a it's a wonderful area. These kids are in college. Here's what I'm thinking. A lot of them are supported a little bit by their parents, their grandparents. They've got they've got a safety net if they if they are paying for it all themselves, then I think they they can reach out to mom and dad or grandma and grandpa if they need to pay. And they've got student loans too. So while I would never do student loans, you know, I don't dictate my renter's finances. Right. Yeah, and of course. So, you know, if they want to pay me that way, then uh, that's great. So, so it's a, it's a great opportunity. It's a great clientele. These people are just wonderful. They're, they're going to school. They're, they're in a, in difficult programs. A lot of them go on to be doctors and dentists and, and engineers and, so anyways, that's been wonderful. Maintenance hasn't been very difficult. Um, I, do, I do everything myself, other than a little bit of plumbing. If there's some plumbing that needs to be done, I can just call somebody. And as I, as I grow older, there, there's, a, you know, there's a concern. So as I grow older, will I want to be as involved? Will I want to do as much work at the condos, fix, a, fix that many toilets or whatever? And, and I suppose there'll be, there could come a time when I maybe would want to move out of the area or when I would not want to do all that work myself. And if so, uh, I don't think I would hire a management company. I think I would either 
had let one of the one of the uh, renters, you know, kind of collect rent for me or bill and handle phone calls. And then also I would call handy handy men as necessary. Sure. Mark, what did you do for work through the years? And maybe what was your, we usually ask this at the end, but just to give our listeners an idea, what was range, your range of income as you were working? Yeah, I was a software engineer. So when I first graduated from college, I was making 25000 a year. And that's when we were, we should have been, we should have been okay. That was actually a pretty good salary in 1982. But, you know, that's when we got in financial trouble. And, uh, and then, and then I quickly got up to about a hundred, 120,000 and pretty much stayed there for the last 20,000 or tw- I'm sorry, for the last 20 years. Awesome. Good for you. And, and then you just said you recently retired. So, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing, Mark. You have to admit, right? You're at net worth of over 3 million. You have 7,000 ish, right? In cash flow a month from your rental properties right. that you, you own outright. Do you own your house outright? Yes. So no debt at all. Right. And and in this first bullet you wrote to us, if I can just kind of rephrase, this is before we started recording here. You said, my wife and I were poor at around 28 to 30, two young boys, house debt, credit card debt, car debt. Going to McDonald's was a rare treat. I was sad and depressed, and I didn't ever see myself having a $1,000 buffer in my checking account. I never, ever imagined having 10000 or $100,000 saved. I was truly depressed. Yeah. So amazing, right? From that first sentence to here, just, I mean, what, 30 years later? Yes. And that is just amazing. I mean, I am so amazed, you know, every day I wake up and I'm so happy that that life has turned out so well. And I think I think part of that is the work I did and the investments that I made. Part of it is timing and the economy Uh, happened to the last 10 years is when I was putting a lot of money into the max plus the over 50 catch up into the 401k plus getting matching. And uh, so so I, I can't take all the credit. But on the other hand, there are plenty of people who lived through the same time and didn't do it, you know, right. didn't didn't put that money in the 401k and didn't didn't invest in rental properties. Yeah, it just I think you have a great story and, and one that can provide hope to a lot of people, because you, you, I just want you to tell people how you got started. Right. You tell us that you're kind of working on a house each night. And, and while you were working, you happened to hear an infomercial about a financial advisor. And, and that's kind of what got this whole thing started. Right. 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 I was working on my basement, trying to trying to do the work myself. And I would listen to the AM radio back in those days. And there was a financial advisor that was. Uh, drumming up business. And that was great. I listened to him every night. But he wasn't, he wasn't really saying what he was doing, but he had a plan to get people out of debt. So I listened for a full month. And he let a little bit slip just enough that I figured out that he was doing what's now called the snowball, the snowball plan. And so I, I was a software engineer. And I said, Hey, I can figure this out and see how it works. And I, I wrote a little DOS program. Uh, Windows hadn't come out yet. <laughs> that's how long ago this was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so I I just, that became the focus of my life. It really did. Of of Because not only did I do it and wrote this program for DOS, but then when Windows came out, I, I needed to learn Windows. So I wrote that for Windows and I snowballed my debt. But then, uh, you know, I didn't, it was, it was my own creation at this point. And I I said, well, you, you you don't stop there. As soon as you've paid off all your debt, you just snowball that entire amount into savings. And uh, so I just snowballed those as I bought rental properties. I just snowballed those. 
And it was really this this magic of snowballing that I think changed my life. So you're telling me we're talking to the founder of the debt snowball? You know, I'm I I don't know, but I uh, <laughs> I, I certainly created it and I called it Snowball myself, and uh, I I actually had a website snowball.org www.snowball.org, but yeah, it would have been great to to have taken it to the masses or be successful. Uh, I only sold a few copies, and uh, you need to but, call Dave Ramsey up. <laughs> so, how much debt did you have at the time? Wow, it's been that's that's a long time ago. Um, I I had my and and also you know money was different back then, right? A, a nice home was one hundred and fifty thousand. Right. My house was about eighty thousand, so I think I owed pretty much eighty thousand on my house, a couple of cars, maybe five thousand on a credit card. I had a lot that I had purchased and I had a loan on that for fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, it was it was we ran out of money before the end of the month. And that's why that's why I couldn't go to McDonald's because even if it was at the beginning of the month, I knew I was I would be spending money we didn't really have. Hmm. And so then where did the idea of, of buying these condos come in? You bought your primary residence, right? And then how'd you decide to start buying something else? Yeah. So my, my income went up. <clears throat> I had always wanted to be a landlord. I don't know exactly why. I don't know what that, it's a, that, you know, what, what my real goal was, but I thought, you know, rather than buy cars and boats and four wheelers and snowmobiles and RVs, if I, if I take my, this larger income that I've come to have, if I, if I take that and invest it in a rental property, that might be a good idea to do. And, uh, so I went down and, down to the a local town and looked at them. Nobody was interested. That's also what's funny today. Oh my gosh! You know they usually sell within a couple of hours right. of when they go when they're of when they're listed. Back yeah. then they sat for months or or weeks and uh, just it just wasn't a popular thing to do. And uh, so I I had a real estate agent show me one, <clears throat> and it was it was they were asking forty eight thousand and they were not budging on the price. But the, there was a for sale by owner in the door in the window of the one next door. So after I left the real estate agent, I w- went back and knocked on the door and purchased the one for they were asking forty five and I and I paid forty eight <laughs> or no forty three. I paid forty three and and uh, because I wasn't going to pay forty eight uh, because I could get the one next door for forty three. Uh, but then a year later, I purchased that one that was for forty eight, but I paid seventy one. <laughs> wow, so. good for you, good for you. And then, and then, share. I just, I think this is really interesting, and I don't know that we've necessarily heard this strategy specifically, but you're snowballing to pay off all these rental properties. Right, right. So as I paid off one, then I just took that money and and put it into the next one. And you know how mortgages are. The the principal might be if you have a payment of five hundred dollars, the principal might be one hundred dollars. So when you free up a payment of five hundred dollars, then you're adding 500 to the next one. And instead of just 100 towards principal, now you have 600 towards principal. So it's not like it just speeds it up a little bit. This is this is speeding it up tremendously. And then that one gets paid off. And then now you've got, say, $1,000 to add to the next one. And uh, I just kept doing that. It was great. How long did it take you to go from your first rental property to your second rental property? You know, I, I, I don't, I'd have to go back and look, but I, I bet it was only about two years. And then what about from the second to the third? Cause it's usually this part is to kind of get that first little base going, right? 
Yeah. I, I, so back then, you know, I think I was buying one about every two or three years. And, uh, and, and what was good back then is it was a lot easier to purchase rental properties than it is today. I think the, uh, housing bust of 2009, uh, caused, caused there to be more restrictions for non-owner occupied homes. So, but back, back then when I was starting, it was really pretty easy. Uh, I did have to put down 30% most of the time. So, you know, not only was I snowballing them, but I also had to save some because I needed, you know, if I was buying a, an $80,000 property and I needed to put down 30%, I had to have 24,000 plus closing costs usually. So twenty-five, $26,000. So, uh, luckily my income was going up and I was able to snowball, snowball my rental properties and save at the same time. How long did it take you to, from when you decided to, to, to buy a rental property to actually purchasing it? Oh, like the same day. <laughs> so you just I mean, made I the just, decision, found one, done, going <clears throat> after it, going to make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'd go, I would go and my wife and I would go look at a, a rental property. And if, if it was the right thing, we would just immediately print out a, the, the contract. Uh, we, I did most of it on my own without real estate agents on either, either side. We would just fill it out with them, sit down and read through the whole thing. So they were comfortable. And, you know, in, in four or five weeks, we'd close and I'd take over. Mark, that's I'm just going to interrupt Jace here for a second. It's pretty amazing, right? Because now when, when people want to buy deals, you hear so much talk about trying to find them, right? Like, yeah. oh, there's no deals or, oh, there's deals. You just got nowhere to look or, oh, you got to find deals through sending out mailers or, you know, whatever, you know, it didn't seem like obviously that wasn't the case for you. Right. I, I think things have changed. Um, it now prices are high and demand is high. It's very hard to find one. And if you do find one, there'll probably be five offers in the first day. Right. So it's, yeah. it's hard. It's hard. And also they're going to pick somebody. That's the other thing I've noticed. They're going to sell to somebody who has a cash offer because if somebody can close in, in less than a week or about a week, then they're not going to sit around and wait for somebody to get qualified and close in six weeks. Right. So, so I see, I see back in, back when I started, there were a lot of rental properties that were owned by just individual moms and pops like, like I was. And today I see it's, it's held by, or, or condos and the rental, the, yeah, these, these condos are purchased by people who, who have the cash and uh, probably have multiple properties. And and also, I think that shows that people are taking their cash and putting it into real estate uh, because it's more consistent, giving them a good return, as opposed to putting it all in the stock market. Yeah, why haven't you continued to, to maybe buy more over the years? You know, I know you decided to kind of get that snowball method, but why seven? Why not go to eight or nine or why not to go to bigger properties? You know, I've, I've told, I've told my kids that 10 probably would have been the right number. If I could have had 10, I could have had them paid off. I could have retired years earlier, but there were, there was, there were times when I had three or four that I went like, no, this is scary. This is a little too much. Maybe I'm getting in over my head. Do I really want to make these, these rentals my business? Uh, or is it kind of just something I do on the side? And so. So I, I struggled back and forth with, you know, just how much of a business I wanted to make it. And if I could go back in time, <clears throat> I think I would have purchased more. Of course, I mean, it worked out so well. I would have purchased more 
And I probably could have retired 10 years earlier. And what age did you stop at seven? Um, I purchased my last just a couple of years ago, just before I retired. So at some point, you kind of had a slowdown then of purchasing every two years or so, or did you just not purchase the first one until a little bit later in your career? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So the first three, I purchased about two years apart. The next one, uh, so what's that? Number four was probably, well, that was actually pretty pretty soon. So maybe the first four were about two years apart. Maybe the the uh, fourth was was it was three or four years after that, and then the other the last two I just just did them maybe ten years ago and just a few years ago. Awesome, so, awesome, good, yeah. awesome, good for you. And, and really, what happened? I guess you know when I had my first my first four five, four or five, I I thought I was done, and uh, I, I talked to a friend of mine, and and he said like, why did you stop? I mean, he asked me what you asked me, like why did you stop? Why don't you just keep going? And uh, so I kind of turned the heat back on. So I probably had four and then and then uh, five, six, seven. I I decided to to go for it again. Keep going. And it's it's always worked out every time. They're the most expensive ones. And oh, man, it's just hard to pay double what you paid for the first one in the same complex. <laughs> but, but, you know, they do continue just to go up in value. And rents go up, rents go up and rents go up with inflation. They go up faster than inflation. And when there's a when there's a problem with the economy, it's near the college. I rent to college students. So when there's a problem with the economy, a lot of people go back to college. So there's more demand when the economy's great. A lot of people are going back to college <laughs> and, the, and the demand is great. So it seems like no matter what the economy's doing, uh, good or bad, it's it's good for me in the rental business. Right. Out of curiosity, when someone has a lease renewal, how much do you raise their rent? I've never raised rent on anyone. How come? Just curious. Do you know, first of all, they're only there for two or three years. They're going to graduate. They're going to move away. And I, their income's not going up. They're in school. I, and I'll have, I'll have an opportunity in a, in a short time to raise rent. So I just, I just feel better if I don't do that to, to my renters. Um, gotcha. I had, I had one person who rented from me for many years and then got a job and was now he and his wife were both employed full time and I hadn't raised rent. And I finally wrote him a letter and I said, you know, I've never raised rent on anybody. I know we've talked about this, but you know, you've been there for a long time. It's like, it's been like <laughs> six years and I, I'm afraid you might be the first person that I'm going to raise rent on. And he said, well, you know, I'm building a house and we're going to move out in three months. And I went, oh man, I'm so sorry. I brought it up then. <laughs> <laughs> you said, perfect. I'll raise it for those three months. No, no, no. But yeah. So, Mark, I want to ask you because we haven't interviewed too many people that are retired. When did you know it was the right time? Were you kind of working towards this goal? I mean, I, I know you mentioned that you wanted to retire when you knew that n nothing could happen that would really make you hurt financially. So, was there a number goal, or was it a was it a when you hit a certain age goal, or what was the thought behind when to retire? Yeah, you know, I always wanted to retire in my 50s. So 59 came and I was I was ready to do it. But you know, I, I, I made a good income as a software engineer. And about that time, I had paid off everything. So so now the, the money that I was bringing in could really be saved. And, uh, you know, so so I just decided to work one more year and put more away. If I had worked another year, oh my gosh, you know, I, I would have saved another 
because because I would have had an income, I wouldn't have had much outgo because my rental properties were paid off. I think I probably would have saved another, you know, hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand uh, if I would have worked one more year. And uh, wow, that would have been really cool. But I work was stressful for me. I was in charge of a lot of computers and uh, a lot of lot of things, and there were a lot of changes and and. Uh, it was just time. I, it was a goal I had to retire. I don't know that I had a specific, really a specific time or or amount of money, but it was clear that at 59 that I could have, and it was clear uh, one year later that you know it be I could I could have continued to work, had even more money, and but at some point enough is enough. Sure. I want to just read one of the bullet points you sent to us because I, I think this probably sums it up best and, and just kind of hear your, your thoughts on this. So you say, uh, between the ages of 30 and 60, I could have saved a lot more money. We did not live over the top, but we went out to eat on the weekends as a family and had a lot of fun times doing or a lot of fun doing so. We went to Disneyland often and stayed at resorts. We bought a lot of new cars. We purchased a boat. When my kids started riding bicycles, I bought them the nicest bicycles possible. I believed we could do it all. I believed we could enjoy life as long as we were also saving and investing plentifully. I did not regret doing going on trips to Disneyland with my family. I do not regret having nice cars. I saved first and spent only what we had left. It seemed like you really found the balance, right, between saving yeah. and spending and, and not necessarily living a full life of – or a, you lived a life of frugality, but you, you spent where it mattered to you and you spent with your family. You know, you know that's right, and that there's uh... – in fact, I, I've kind of looked at the fire movement, but every time I look at the fire movement, I see people who say, I'm going to live in a trailer. I'm going to live in a tiny little home. Uh, I'm going to drive a, a, you know, a, a $2,000 car. And I, I, that just doesn't resonate with me. And so, uh, what I, what we did, I mean, we'd go out to dinner as a family and we would, we would go to the local pizza place and my boys would sit across from me and we'd order just tons of food and cookies at the end. And we just had a great, great time. We went to Disneyland and we didn't stay in fancy hotels, but we, to begin with, but um, th then later on, as my kids were older and I was doing better, we, we would stay at resorts and uh, we'd go to Hawaii as a family. We went to, to a luau together and we just had a, a whole table that was just my family. And, and my oldest by then was, was married. And, uh, it, yeah, we, I just thought we could do it all. And, uh, you know, I drove nice cars. We had nice vacations, but really, I think it came down to saving first and then being free to spend what was left over. I think yeah. that was, that was the key. You know, I never, ever have done a budget. <laughs> that's, that's embarrassing to say. No, no, but no. Uh, there's we, actually, I think, honestly, I think more of the millionaires that we interview happened. Really? To be completely honest with you, Chase, correct like, me if I'm, yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, like percent I'd say do not budget or follow some sort of strict budgeting process. I think more of it's, hey, I'm going to put away this much and save this much and then spend what's left, but I'm not going to fret over $20 spent at a grocery store more than you know I spent on gas that, that I had planned or whatever. Right, right. I mean, it's hard. Like, I, I don't budget. I'll throw it out there like... My wife and I discussed it. I mean, I try to stay in certain parameters and not spend like, you know, ridiculously in one category or another, get let it, let a category get out of hand. But I would rather 
pay myself first, put all my stuff in, in certain buckets, and then whatever's left is left. Like, I don't really care where it goes. It's too much to keep track of to try to, like, say, right. oh, I'm not going to spend at the grocery store this week because I only allocated, like, $55 there or something. Like, it's just way too much brain power for me to, like, waste or do that, you know, for my personal life. Right. And and from the 90s on, from the from the middle 90s anyway, on, I maxed out the 401k. I put in every dollar I could. Often the companies that I worked for would send me, they would go through their testing that they, that they were required to do. And they would often send me a check at the, at the, uh, towards the end of the year and, and stop me from putting more money into the 401k. But yeah, so I just, I, oh, and then, so not only did I save in the 401k, but all of that condo money just went right back into the condos. I didn't spend any of the condo money because I always had debt on the condos. And so I just felt like that had to go right back in. And if, and really, if I have these condos and all the money is going back in and all of the growth is staying there, I was, even without the 401k, I was saving a large percentage of my, of my, I don't know how to say it, my net worth, my income, my money. Right. Um, you right. know, I was saving a, a huge percentage of, of it. So, so yeah, so then, I just felt like I was justified in having a nice car and having a nice house and going to Disneyland and having, I, I remember I wanted to take my kids fishing and we went over to, there was a nice uh, tackle store here. If that's what it's called, fishing store, uh, anglers Inn, I think is what it was called. It was by my house. And I just went in and I said, I just need to, I need everything. Let's get this thing going. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I spent over a thousand dollars on poles and lures and lines and, and, uh, holders and just everything and then i took my kids fishing out on the these reservoirs and we just went up and fished and caught tons of fish and made great memories awesome good for you how old are your kids wow now they are 36 34 30 and 26 awesome and are they kind of following your same pattern of of financial independence and freedom i think i think they are overall i mean they're all very wise with their money I, I, the, I, two of my three boys are physicians, uh, and one is in technology like I was. And he, I have seven rental properties. He already has seven rental properties and he's only 34 years old. So he's still paying uh, for a few of them. You know, he still has some debt on them, but the first three he paid cash for. Mm. Wow. So that's, you know, he's, he's going to do really well. I started about, I started getting serious about buying rental properties and, and, uh, you know, I was getting out of debt earlier on, but then I started really saving. That was when I was about 35. Well, he's only 34 and he already has seven rental properties and, you know, he's doing really well. He's going to, he's going to, when is he going to come on gonna, the show? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we, we need to get him. <laughs> so, Mark, just before we get into some rapid fire questions and, and maybe some last m mistakes and advice, what's maybe been the most surprising thing to you in retirement? Is there, is there anything that stood out to you that you wish you were, or something you wish you would have known before you retired? You know, a lot of people say they retire and they just have to go back to work. They can't, they can't take it. I think, I think really, uh, I'm only half retired because I have those seven rental properties and sometimes they give me a lot to do and sometimes they, you know, months go by and I don't have to do anything. So, you know, we're doing a lot of traveling. The, the, I, I, I retired on February 28th and the next day, March 1st, I was in Hawaii and we were there for a month. 
And uh, since then, we've traveled maybe a third of the time, a third to a half of the time. We're gone from the house. We're we are uh, in Hawaii. We're on cruises. We're in, yeah. We're just we went to we went on a cruise to South America. We went to Hawaii for two months since I retired. Mm. Uh, Cabo San Lucas. So we're just you know there's plenty to do. I I am I don't think I am surprised. Uh, okay, maybe one thing I used to I think I used to decompress by watching TV. So I would come home from work, sit down in front of the TV and and uh, just watch whatever was on and. And now I have more time, more free time, and the TV doesn't interest me. And I'm just really surprised at that. That's really funny. Awesome. It seems like, you know, this definition of financial freedom, the ability to do what you want, where you want, when you want, how you want, and with whom you want, that kind of, that's you right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. I'm just, I feel so lucky. So when you travel, when you travel, Mark, if something comes up at one of the rental properties, do you have somebody watching over it or... Yeah. So I've got my son who also has rental properties in the area. And, you know, when he was a little kid, I would buy these rental properties and and uh, and he would go in. This is the kid that was at home at that time. And he would go in and cut the carpet in, into pieces and roll them up and tie them up and put them out in the dumpster. He was probably only 13, 14 years old. And uh, so today he is he's doing the rental properties. And if I'm away, he helps me out. And if he's away, I help him out. Gotcha. That's a good little partnership you got there. So just for some rapid fire questions here before we close, what's the most expensive jeans or pair of pants you've ever purchased? Oh, I, I almost have no idea. Whatever Levi's cost, which I think is probably $25 or $30. Nice. And I like most, that. Not and, even not and, even looking at the price tag. I like that. Well, it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't buy very many. and and uh, But it, what's funny is is more recently there's a liquidation store by by my house. And they, a lot of it's just junk, but the clothes are really nice. They're just when uh, Costco just gets down to a few pairs of pants or a few shirts and, and they need to close it out. They just give it to this liquidation store. So, hmm. so actually the, the most recent pairs of pants that are the last five pairs of pants and the last 10 shirts I've purchased have been from the liquidation <laughs> store. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Uh, most expensive car. I did also before I retired, I redid my roof and I bought a new truck. So I, I paid probably about $34,000 for a 20 brand new 2015 Nissan Titan. Okay. What's worth uh, spending more money on to you, either items or experiences? You know, the, okay, you know, you asked me what surprised me. And here's another thing that surprised me. I always wanted everything perfect be, before I retired. I wanted to tear up my driveway and, and replace it. Uh, I just had just everything just had to be right. And now that I'm retired, uh, the, my priorities have kind of changed. I don't care that my driveway isn't perfect. And so I think I'm more for trips and and uh, tell me what you called it again. Oh, just if, yeah, if you wanted yeah. items or experiences yeah. or both. Yeah, I think it's experiences now. Mm-hmm. And I also see and, and, and wow. And that 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 really uh, makes me think about, you know, being 62. 10 years from now, 72, I know a lot of people are doing great at 72, but a lot of people aren't. And, uh, you know, I travel and I see a lot of people who are shuffling around and, you know, I need to get those experiences in now uh, so right. that I can, so that I can, uh, walk those trails and, and do, do those kinds of things today. So I'm, I think way more into experiences rather than things now. Mm. How old you were you when you hit your first million? Do you remember? Uh, 
I'm thinking about between 35 and 40. Okay. How much do you spend a year, household spending? Uh, well, we, we uh, probably spend about 150000 a year. And what was it? I'm just curious because I know you're traveling a lot now. What was it maybe, I don't know, five years ago before you uh, retired? You know, really, before I was saving, I was working. We didn't really spend money. We, we weren't buying new cars back then. And so what's funny is I think I was probably living on 70, 60, and, and now to be spending, you know, 150 when none of that is going towards the house. Or maybe, maybe what I'm thinking is it's like 60,000 with, if you, if after the house payment, I, I, maybe I just don't know exactly, but, but I am surprised that I, I am spending a lot of money. I am spending more than I used to gross. So just one more, more question here before we, we do the last like, advice and mistakes. What are maybe the two or three or, you know, one or two, if, if they stand out to you, things that helped you or made you a millionaire? Was it work ethic, maybe a little bit of luck or finding good opportunities or your drive? Is, is there maybe one or two things that you can point to and say, hey, that had a big effect or one of the biggest effects on my financial success? Yeah, the. uh the rental properties were a big part of my success. And, you know, at one point I, uh, I was snowballing them, but, and, and I had, I had my renters. So, you know, let's say I had five at that time. I had five people working. Basically what I felt was they were working for me. So I had five people working for me every, every day, 24 hours a day, and they'd send me checks. And I just really felt like, like that was a, a, a wonderful thing. That was a, that was a real key. The other one was always maxing out the uh, 401k. So whatever I could put in, I put in and, and, uh, I, I really was going back and forth between which was the better investment or which had the, the most in it. But the stock market goes up and down. 2001 uh, hurt me bad. I mean, just hurt me bad, both, both financially and emotionally. And. I don't know why, but 2008, 2009 didn't hurt me bad. I don't know why. Uh, I, I could go back and induce, do some more investigation. But, but anyway, investing, investing first, saving first, investing in those rental properties, that, those, were, those were good things. Uh, but I don't know that rental property is good for everyone. You know, I fixed a lot of toilets. I pulled off a lot of toilets and, and uh, scraped off a lot of wax rings. <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> sure that most people want to do that. I, right. You know, right. Well, they don't have to. They can hire a property manager. That's right. And but I do think if you hire property managers, I mean, it's just that they take a large percentage. You know, you might only be making it to, when yeah. you start out. You might that's only true. be making a certain percentage, and that's probably the amount that they take. So I think that yeah. that really slows things down. Yeah, Mark. Just to kind of wrap up, are there any mistakes that you've made over the journey? that you would caution people against? Looking back, I, I think if I would have been more aggressive, I think I could have done even more. I could. There was a time, maybe it was at 2008, 2009, when maybe even 2010, 2011, when a, there were a lot of condos that came available, the price was right, and I didn't do it. On the other hand, you know, I played it safe. I pre, you know, even though I had all these rental properties, and it sounds like I was stretching, I, I kind of wasn't. Rents were good and consistent. I, I, I could have controlled my spending better, I think. I think we could have been a, a little bit tighter earlier on and saved more. 
maybe maybe not. I don't know because I did save a lot. So I don't know. I don't know what big uh, mistakes I made because I was pretty conservative. How, yeah. how did you make that switch in spending kind of, you know, what you were spending when you were earning to now spending double? Because I feel like a lot of people, especially that come on our show, kind of have a, you know, they, they work really, really hard. And, and maybe the dream is to get to some point where then they can spend a little bit more. But it's really hard to, like, make that switch and kind of psychologically be okay with it and, and, and you know, get a comfort level fine to be spending that when they never spent it before. Oh, absolutely. I understand. And, 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 and going to go along with that is a lot of times you hear, well, how much, how much money will you need in retirement? Oh, 80%, 70%. Well, you know, I don't have a house payment. I, I don't have any debt. I don't have any credit cards. I don't have any car payments. And, but what I have is time and I'm trying to take advantage of that time. And so what are we doing? We go on a vacation and we're only home for a couple of weeks. And we're off on another vacation and we're, we're taking big vacations. We're going on expensive cruises to South America and all over and then back. And then we're going to Cuba. We went to Cuba when it was a, when it was still legal and, you know, also went all over and came back. We went to Mexico. We've gone to Mexico for, you know, more than two weeks for the past two years. We've gone to Hawaii for two months and we're scheduled for another month. And, and there's a lot more in between. There are a lot of other vacations. My, my wife has gone to Italy twice without me, uh, with her sister, which is fine. I, I just can't do this, that much traveling. She's gone to uh, Italy twice, Japan twice. She went to Frankfurt and drove across Europe, across like seven countries, rented an apartment in Prague. And then more recently, she went to England and uh, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. So we are just, we are just traveling. Uh, traveling like mad. And, uh, and so that's expensive. And, and so that's where the money's going. Yeah, totally. Well, Mark, you've got a great story. Appreciate you coming on the show today. That's Mark with a net worth of $3 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.